Welcome to Fantline with Minister Marvin Fant, and today I continue with part four of a five-part series, Black Wall Street, Jealousy, Reparations, and Law Enforcement. Before the massacre and terrorist act, and yes, it was a terrorist act, of bitter and hate-filled white residents of Tulsa, the state of Oklahoma had only two airports, yet six black families owned their own planes. This modern, majestic, sophisticated, and unapologetically black community boasted of banks, hotels, cafes, clothing stores, movie theaters, and contemporary homes, not to mention luxuries such as indoor plumbing. And yes, back in 1921, people... Indoor plumbing was a luxury, and they had a remarkable school system that superiorly educated black children. Undoubtedly, less fortunate white neighbors resented their upper-class lifestyle, and as a result of jealous desire to put progressive, high-achieving African Americans in their place, a wave of domestic white terrorism caused black people to flee their homes and the few blacks who were able to take up arms in defense were grossly outnumbered. And in lieu of that, despite of all the economic damage that was thrown at them, Hannibal Johnson, author of Black Wall Street, From Riot to Renaissance in Tulsa's historic Greenwood District, explains that neither the survivors nor their families ever received reparations suggested by the Tulsa Race Riot Commission. The commission recommended reparations for people who lost property and proposed the establishment of a scholarship fund that did happen for a limited time. The commission also proposed initiatives for the economic revitalization of the Greenwood community. Despite the tragic events, these grand ideas never manifested into a tangible reality. The police force also contributed to the, to the riot due to their ineffective leadership. They allowed mobs to gather at the courthouse for hours be, before seeking additional assistance. Furthermore, 
They act, they actively participated in the riot by deputizing whites without discretion, arming them with guns to multiply the, uh, the, the police force overnight. The police... The police disregarded the due process, arresting blacks and interning them in detention camps. Meanwhile, no whites were arrested during the riot. Both politicians and media falsely framed the Tulsa riot as an uprising started by lawless blacks. Tulsa newspapers regularly referred to the Greenwood District as Little Africa and Nigger Town. African-Americans in the district were labeled bad niggers who drank, boozed, took dope, and ran around with guns. Now, think about that. They said that about this upscale community, this well-to-do town, this, this area of distinguished black people, but yet... They say that they were bad, bad niggers and who drank all the time, who took dope and ran around with guns. Now, you know, you know, that that just incenses me because. Far too often today, those those same things, you know, both both true. But it also saddens me when we have black people who do some of those things. I just wish that we could collectively get together and check out the history that has gone down. Be aware of what our ancestors had to go through. Now, the thing is, there there are many black people who do well, but then there's the few who don't, but yet they're the ones who are highlighted. And that's wrong. That's that that's just so wrong. It, it's like we have to keep pushing up against a, a, a large boulder constantly. But we keep striving. We definitely keep striving. Now, continue on. Now, perhaps as a result of government government officials stereotyping rhetoric and the media's biased reporting, and we are we we've all been through this. Whites and blacks interpreted the racial violence differently. Doesn't that sound like today with the um, situation with the police? Generally. White politicians and residents perceived the black community as predis- predispo- predisposed to crime and in need of social control. In other words, due to assumptions of black criminality, whites justified deadly violence on black Wall Street because blacks needed to be subjugated. Fantline will be back in a few. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There is creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast 
right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thank you for your patience. And we continue with Wall Street, Black Wall Street, that is, part four. As of 2019, the city of Tulsa has yet to award reparations to the families of survivors and victims of the massacre. The total estimated financial loss taking into account the destruction of both private residential property and property in the business district would be about 50 to $100 million in today's currency. The neighborhood, in addition to being subjected to the on-the-ground on assault, was bombed from above by planes carrying white assailants. As an added insult, it took almost a full century for the search for the mass graves of victims to begin in earnest. They are currently ongoing. One person said, if we discover the remains of victims and are able to identify them, and if those people are reburied with honors, that would be a huge moment for the city. But it'll be a moment for the country, too. White people remember history differently than African-Americans do. And the reality is that we have one common history. There is only one American history, and until we are able to confront the bad parts as well as the good parts, we're never going to be on the same page on how we view the country, its promises, its problems, and its problems. We still have a lot of work to do in Tulsa, and there is no question. There is still a lot of hurt and anger over this. The hurt remains in part because of what happened after the fires, after the fires burned out in the days that followed the massacre. Insurance companies refused to reimburse the damage done to Greenwood. And since riots were not covered, as a result, the weeks that followed the massacre, many of Tulsa's black residents were forced to languish in the makeshift holding areas they'd been taken to they've been taken to that night or leave the city and the community that they built altogether. The accumulation of massive amounts of wealth and the loss of income that would have been earned had Greenwood been allowed to thrive undisturbed is almost incalculable. But just as important are the things that can't be quantified, such as the loss of the sense of safety in their own city the loss of trust in city officials, law enforcement, and in some cases, in people altogether. This isn't to say that Greenwood was defeated. Over the next couple of years, almost every destroyed home was rebuilt. In 1925, the National Negro Business League hosted its annual conference in the neighborhood, signaling the revival of Greenwood as a hub for black business 
and entrepreneurship. The following decades brought commerce and culture back into Greenwood Avenue. And more recently, the city has made commercial investments into revitalizing the area. But for many longtime Greenwood residents, revitalization is not is not restitution. In fact, restitution can often be a code word for gentrification that prices and pushes out community institutions, especially those owned by black residents. At its worst, it might be a form of erasure. Some sources have theorized that the ma- that the massacre was a calculated attempt by the city to seize the land, one that has one that has taken on a new contemporary form, modern day gentrification, and urban renewal projects, more commonly referred to in North Tulsa as urban removal, continue to try to gobble up what is left of Greenwood adding that those renewal efforts aren't targeted to who they should be. The equality indicators released by the city of Tulsa every year continue to demonstrate that North Tulsans and South Tulsans are living completely different lives in what seems like two different cities. Unfortunately, black citizens in North Tulsa fall to the bottom of every metric. It took 80 years for the city to release an official report on the massacre, which recommended multiple forms of restitution, including financial reparations for survivors and their families. Calls for those reparations have been dismissed at multiple levels of the justice system, including the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm not sure... Any amount of money or social services offered 98 years later can make up for the the massacre. It's awe-inspiring of how resilient the North Tulsa community continues to be. As efforts to rebuild and revitalize the Greenwood District have been ongoing since 1921. But at the very least, there needs to be a serious plan for reparations, free housing and business business support for descendant families, Greenwood business grants, college tuition scholarships for young students in North Tulsa, and a serious effort to close the median income gap between white and black families in Tulsa. That's it for today. Check it out tomorrow, part five, The Legacy. No said.
Thank you.